Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to have you here today, and Dwayne has a crush. That's amazing. He's got a worship crush in the room, so we can just worship together. It's so good to have you here. If you're joining us today for the first time, welcome to Portico. We are thrilled that you're joining us. If you're a regular here, always great to have you back. We're in a series called This is Living, Choosing Joy in Life's Everyday Moment. Everybody knows this, right? So over the last couple of weeks... I've been helping unpack. We've been looking at Paul's letter to the uh, believers in Philippi, the book of Philippians. We've been looking at Paul encouraging his friends to choose joy. So very specific about the situations and circumstances. So let's make this real. When I got up this morning, a little earlier than some of you, I walked outside and there was this white stuff on my car. Anybody have that? See, it pays to sleep in. There was white stuff on my car, and I go, God, what are you doing to me? Am I choosing joy right now that there's this little white stuff on the car? See, he just reminds us, for those of us living in Ontario, and if you're tuning in from around the world, and it's warm and sunny where you are, please invite us. But for the rest of us to choose joy no matter what we are going through. In fact, Paul was very practical about this. If you go back and look real quickly, remember I talked to you when Paul was actually starting on his journey He hadn't really planned to go to Macedonia. That wasn't on his itinerary. He was headed up into Bithynia and up to the province of Asia. And there are times in our lives when our plans get interrupted, as Paul's were. And Paul writes to these believers, and he goes, Just like me, when something unexpected comes your way, you choose joy. And we will face it in our lives. We'll face unexpected changes at work, unexpected changes in our health, unexpected changes in relationships. And Paul is so practical with the inspiration of the Spirit. He goes, when you go through these moments that you didn't anticipate, he goes, it's still possible. You might not be happy. Everybody with me? You might not be happy about it. But he goes, but you can have joy because the grace of God and the plans of God and the purpose of God are leading you in that moment. It's often we can't see it until we look backwards And I'm a master at wisdom when I look backwards. Aren't you? We all are. But looking forward in the moment, so Paul writes and he encourages his friends because they were in the middle of it and they couldn't see it. And he talked about being stuck and he was chained to the wrist of an imperial guard and that's not how he thought life was going to turn out. And he said, you're probably stuck. Choose joy no matter what you're going through. And he sets this wonderful precedent for us to be able to choose joy. So how are you doing? Are you joyful? Strong in here, semi in here, where are you? Are you joyful? All right, there you go. We choose joy no matter what we're going through because we know God's grace and the leading of the Spirit, that's all we need. And if we have that, we're going to be good. So over the last couple of weeks, I unpacked it a little bit differently again. And I moved into it and I said, you know, you start looking at this, how can you do this? So how can you choose joy? And then Paul got, again, very intentional, and he said, you need to begin to think differently. And I talked about choosing the mindset of Christ. That Remember the doppelganger? Have you been looking for your double out there? 
yeah, that if we're going to look like anybody, we should look like Jesus. And I said, Paul gave us a great understanding. He said, you've got to choose the mindset of Christ who willingly relinquished his comfort, his status, his security. And when you willingly do that, you're willing to move in that direction. He goes, you're going to have the ability to find joy no matter what you go through because now it's not tied to things. It's not tied to people. It's tied to your faith in Christ. And then we just continued to move that out. And last week I shared even more with you and we tied the link together and I said, remember, who you are matters. How you live matters, and how you finish matters. Now, why this is so important is we often, again, we read these letters, we go to the book of Philippians, and we go, well, this is interesting. I think Paul is just writing a little treatise. He's writing an article. No, it's a letter. It's a letter that flows with thought, and I want to pick it up, and I want to go from the mindset of Jesus to the way that we live, a purpose-driven life, and Paul shares something in what we're going to look at today, and I want to make sure you catch this. Because what I'm going to extract out of Paul's letter is this. There's one thing in life, and if you blow this, it'll destroy everything else you've already built. And he does it in such a clean way that if we can understand that there's one thing that matters, then we focus on that, and we're going to be good. How many things? All right, you're with me. Get your Bibles out. Let's go to Philippians. We're going to go over to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start to read, and I want to begin to read around verse 19. And here's what we read. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served, me, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. And indeed, Paul writes, he was ill and he almost died. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, I want you to welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. Now, there's a lot here. You can teach in a number of different directions. But when I read this passage, and I'm looking at choosing joy in everyday moments of life, there's this one area that Paul really seems to lift up to the surface, and I wanted to share it with you because it affects all of us. And if we don't get this one right, it can actually undo everything that we want to do in life. And it comes down to one word, and it's this word. It's your reputation. It's your reputation. You can have the mindset of Christ. You can understand what it is to say, I'm not going to pursue status and comfort and security. You can even embrace the ideals that who I am matters and how I live matters and how I finish matters. But if you don't guard your reputation, it will undo everything that Jesus is doing in you and that people see around you. And so I want to get into this and share this with you because it's very, very practical for us today. Your reputation, and we all know this, reputation is based upon what? Personal experience and other people's recommendations. In fact, we see it all the time. When you go to get a doctor, you don't just randomly kajiji somebody or Google somebody, do you? No, what do you do? You ask, was there a yes in the room? Just randomly, hey, anybody? Uh, Maybe, maybe we do. Most of us, though, work off of recommendation. Hey, who's your doctor? 
Do you like him or her, right? Because what are you asking? You want to know, can I trust your recommendation? Do they have the reputation that I can trust for them to be my doctor? Because here's what we know. When the doctors graduated, you know that some were at 98% level and some were at 40%. Is your doctor 40% or 98%? There's a question to ask. But we want the recommendation of others so that we feel comfortable. We do it with all kinds of things. We do it with our dentists. We do it with our mechanics. We do it with our auto dealerships. We even do it with relationships. In fact, we live in a world of instant rating, don't we? You get into an Uber, you get an Uber drive, you get a ride somewhere, and then right away, hey, let me give a quick rating on the driver. Let me give a rating on my experience. We do it with restaurants. We finish at a restaurant. We go out for a nice uh, nice night or we go to a show. We'll rate it right away. In fact, did you know we even rate churches? Yeah, we do. We have a rating. Look at this. This is right off our Facebook page. If you look in the, to the left side, up towards... See that 4.8? Now, this is out of 5, not 10. Just... Whew! Got a little worried. Everybody's like, whoa, Doug, you got some work to do. So it's a 4.8 out of 5. Now, now that's not bad, right? That, that's not too bad. But it's not 5... Now, here's the other thing. I was looking at the stats. That's 56 people. Where are the rest of you? Come on, people. Work with me here. Get on Facebook right now. Let's bump the number. No, I'm just kidding. But if you look at this, it's 4.8 out of 5. We instantly rate so we can give a recommendation. That's our reputation based out in the social media world. And, oh, also, because I enjoy math, I ran the numbers. I just took the 4.8 out of 5, ran it backwards, and I figured out out of 56 people, two of you, Gave us a bad rating. I know who you are. We have, we have IP search machines. We know your IP address. I'm coming for you. No, I'm just, no, we're not. But we have this instant rating society. In fact, there are businesses that are built upon managing your social media reputation. They actually help you improve your reputation out in the public. So it's fascinating when we read something like this, and here's Paul writing into this world, that he understands that our reputation, and we get this, our reputation precedes us, and our reputation lingers. Before we show up, our reputation's already there. People already know who you are. They talk about you. They've already made up their minds. They have an opinion about you. After you leave, your reputation is still there. It's the one area of our lives we often overlook, and much, much of the time, What we don't realize is how that impacts our Christian witness and our Christian faith. So Paul writes something here, and this is what I really want to drive into. You start looking, when he talks about a Christ-centered mindset and a purpose-driven life, he knew that your reputation and our reputation could be our most powerful ally in the witness of our faith, or it could also be one of our most uh, powerful enemies. It could be our undoing if we don't manage it well. So here's what I want to do today with all of us. I want to help us with our reputation. I want to talk about a Christ-centered reputation. If you're taking notes, get your notes out. If you're on your apps, fill it in. A couple of thoughts. Number one, if you want to build a Christ-centered reputation, here's what it is. It is a reputation that genuinely values others over yourself. You genuinely value others over yourself. Let me show you. Look in your Bibles at Philippians chapter 2. Verse 20, Paul said these words. He goes, I have no one else like Timothy. That's a great commendation. But look at the next line. Who genuinely cares about your welfare. All others care for themselves and not for what matters for Jesus Christ. So Paul talks about this co-worker, this friend, this co-laborer that he has. And he goes, I've never met anybody like this guy. 
He genuinely cares about you. He cares what happens to you. He cares about your life. He cares about your faith, the trajectory that you're on. And for Paul, he looks at this and he understands the power of this relationship. And Paul knew what it was to have a great reputation and he knew what it was to be used to build a reputation. So let me explain it this way. There are people who will use people and enjoy things. And there are others who will enjoy people and just use things. Paul was one of the ones that was a pawn in the political system. If you go back and read the book of Acts and look carefully at his life journey, you'll remember before he got to Rome, he's imprisoned at Rome when we read this letter. Before he got there, he spent two years in Caesarea. He was in Jerusalem. There was an uprising. He was thrown into prison. They moved him up for his safety to Caesarea. They kept him in prison. That was under Felix and Festus. And for two years, those leaders kept him there. Kings and governors kept him in prison. And why did they do that? The Bible says two things. Number one, they were hoping he would give them a bribe. Let's use people. Or both of those leaders wanted to garner favor with the Jews, and they were hoping that they could give Paul back over to the leaders in Jerusalem. And a couple of times in the scriptures, it talks about this. And so here's Paul firsthand, and he goes, man, these people used me, and I was only a pawn. And we all know what it's like to have somebody use us, right? And you just feel that at the core of your being. And so he contrasts this, and then he starts talking about Timothy. So Paul knew what it was to be in that situation. He turns around and goes, but look at Timothy. Timothy, there's no one like him who genuinely cares about people, and he cares about you. And if you look at the scripture and how Paul begins to unpack this, he knew that he was going to send Timothy up to see the people. He wanted them to go up there. But before he sends Timothy, he gives his glowing recommendation because he wanted Timothy's reputation to precede him. And he knew, he was confident that Timothy's reputation wouldn't disappoint him. Because when he got there, he could bank on this man. And it really makes us ask a question. What do people think when they think about us? What do they think of for our reputation? Because we all have one, right? And if we don't know what the reputation is, sometimes we don't even realize why we're ineffective in our life or in our social circles, our relationships, or even in our Christian witness, because we don't even know what our reputation is. And here's Paul, and there's this wonderful word he throws in there. He doesn't just say he cares. He, he says he genuinely cares. Everybody knows the difference between fake and genuine, right? I was in South America, and I bought a Rolex. $10. Look at your wrist. If you paid full retail, you should have been with me for $10. And for one week, that, that watch worked. The dial was slightly off. It ran slightly fast, and the battery died in a week, even though it said Swiss movement. That was not a Swiss movement. It was a Swiss cheese movement. That's all that was. So we live in a world of counterfeit. We live in a world of fake. We live in a world of inauthentic, where everything is traded and bartered and it's used. You see, we use people to our advantage. And Paul talks about Timothy, and he goes, this, this guy's the genuine deal. He really does care about you. And when you understand he cares about you, well, what happens then? If your reputation is one that you genuinely care about people, then people will open their hearts and lives to you, and they'll receive from you. Laura and I often, on Mondays, that's our Sabbath or our day off, we'll often go out and we'll go for breakfast together and we'll just spend some time. It's our chance to be together. And so we'll pick a restaurant and we have a couple of favorites. We'll go and order breakfast. And one of the ones that we frequent, they know us, they, they'll see us when we come in. But on one particular day, we went in and it was like, we weren't there. 
Like nobody sat us, nobody saw us. And so we finally went in, we sat down at the table. Then we had to wait forever to get our coffee. And I'm thinking, oh, this is not going good. And so sitting there waiting, and they finally come over, gave coffee, took our order, never came back through the meal to find out how the meal was going. You ever been to a restaurant like that? Yeah, we've been there. So they never came back to find out how we're doing. And it took every, and I love my coffee, as you could tell this morning. And I was waiting for a refill. I just want a refill. And I couldn't get the refill to almost the end of the meal. So the, the whole experience was not optimal for me. But the real icing on the cake was at the end when our waitress came over because she knew it was time for the bill. And she came over with the biggest smile on her face. So how was everything today as she slid the bill? And I thought, oh, yeah, you're just playing right into tip me up, baby. I want to get a tip today. And I I had a few tips, but they weren't in the financial world. That's not where I was at that moment. And that's the challenge. You can tell when you're an inconvenience or you're being used or when the attention's not genuine, it's artificial. And so Paul raises this, and I think it's something for us to grab. You need to get in your growth groups and talk about this, because in the Christian world, so often our Christian witness is diminished because people go, you're not the real deal. We see the other side. We see the way you act. We see your character. We see the way you live out. And Paul says, hey, when you look at Timothy, can I tell you? This is what it should look like. This is what a true, genuine person who has a Christ-centered reputation is. In fact, he even goes further. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. I love how he brings in Epaphroditus into the same idea and discussion. Verse 25, he said, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you, so I am going to send him because he has been longing to see you as he was very distressed. So Paul draws out something about Epaphroditus, and he goes... I want you to realize, and the church would have recognized the name. They sent him. He was their messenger. And Paul says to him, this guy that you sent me, his life's messed up. He almost died. He was so sick. But it bothers him, not because he almost died, but because he knew the impact it was having on you. That he was wrestling. Now, remember, they didn't have Skype. They weren't just like, hey, let's get on there and do a quick, you know, WhatsApp call and figure out how everybody's doing. This is like more than 800 miles away And he's going, he's wrestling with this because he knows your heart and your burden. And so he wants to get back. And I love how Paul illustrates the care and the genuine nature of this. And I wondered, how are we doing when it comes to our Christ-centered reputation? Would Paul find words similar to what he shares about Timothy and Epaphroditus if he were to look at our lives? And I think all of us, as we look at this, yeah, we want the mindset of Christ. And we want to know that how we live matters But let's make sure that our reputation, that it's right there, that we genuinely care for others over self. In fact, Jesus said this, John 15, 13, he said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And maybe another word to substitute, put the word genuine. Genuine love is when you're willing to lay your life down for your friend. That's truth, right? All right, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm willing to die for you. See, see, some of you just looked at each other and you, you just looked at each other and you went, I'm willing to die for you. It wasn't a question. It was a statement. You with me? This is, this is Jesus in very practical ways because they're not words. See, it's not rhetoric. The Christian faith isn't simply a set of ideal uh, pursuits and idealism. It's actually declarations that we go, I'm willing to lay my life down for you. 
because my life's not temporal, it's eternal. And what God has done for me, my life is already finished anyhow. I was on the wrong path and Jesus paid the price for me. And so my life is his. And if I need to lay my life down for you, I'm willing to do it because that's who Christ is to me. And Paul said, that's what it is to have genuine concern for others. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down. Number two, what is it to have a Christ-centered reputation? It means that you're going to prove your character over time. That as you journey through life, your character will get built more and more and more, and you'll show the true nature of your character as you journey through time. Let me show it to you and then explain it a little bit this way. Philippians chapter 2, verse 22. Paul wrote this. He said, you know how Timothy, and here's the words, has proved himself. And then he gives a great illustration. He said, like a son with his father, he has served me in preaching the good news. Paul could have chosen any different way to illustrate this, but he goes, like a son with his dad. Those of you that are parents in the room, everybody, whose parents? Raise your hand real quick, raising your kids. Isn't it a good thing we didn't judge our children based upon one experience, one mistake that they made in life? Because if we did, we would write them off. But any parent knows that you take the accumulated journey and you look at who they are as they grow in their character and you base their reputation upon the sum of the journey. But here's what happens. As parents and as families in relationship with each other, we know to do that. But when we come into a larger group and a larger community, because we don't travel together all the time, we tend to jump ahead and we make character choices or character assumptions based upon a person's single action. So we see somebody doing something and we go, oh, well, I know that person. Here's what I saw them do. And suddenly their reputation is tainted because of an individual action. Who would want to have their reputation tainted that way? Anybody? Nobody would. I'm, I'm grateful. So I, I'm very grateful that nobody looks at my individual, well, I, for the most part, they don't look at my individual mistakes and, you know, classify my reputation based upon that. Because there are moments, as you know, you hear a lot of them, there are moments that I hope that people go, boy, I'm sure glad he's still growing. He's still maturing. There was a time we were living in Michigan. This is why I can't go back to the States. There was a time we were living in Michigan. And uh, Laura and I, we were living, we were pastoring in a church down there. I was on staff in a large multi-staff church. And Kyle was still very young, and his friend was with us. We were in the car together, and we were driving. I can't even remember where we were going. But they were both in the back plane, and I could see in the rearview mirror, this guy was coming up, and he was like swerving in and out of the lanes. He was cutting off cars. People were having to slam on their brakes. And I thought, oh, my, you know, I had a word. And uh, so I saw him as he was coming, and he almost hit us. And then he swerves around and gets in front of us. So he's tailgating, and then he's slowing down. And he was just irritating me. So I'm thinking about it, and I thought, somebody needs to talk to this guy. The light turned red, and I said, I hear you, Jesus. It's me. <laughs> so we pull up to the light. I throw the car into park. I jump out of the car. Laura doesn't even know what's going on yet. And Kyle and his friend are in the back going, uh-oh, where's dad going? And I walk up to the car in front of me, and there's a young guy in the car, and that's why I said I'm glad nobody judges me on one event. And so I begin to speak to the, the guy in the car and explain to him how disappointed I am in his behavior and that I have very, very valuable possessions in my car, three human lives that matter a lot to me, and that he needs to think about how he drives his car. And then I proceeded to walk back. This was not road rage. Just in, in case you're wondering, it's not, it was pastoral counsel. It was pastoral counsel. 
You can use that if it helps you at some point. But I had my license with me. I had my clergy license in my pocket. So I was giving him some pastoral counsel. He was just not paying attention to what he was doing. And I got back into the car, started the car, drove away. Then I got thinking, huh, I wonder if anybody from the church was on the same road that day and what they would have thought in that moment. Have you ever been in that, a situation like that? We've all been there. Nobody wants to have their reputation built upon a solitary event. That's why I love this. When I look at what Paul talks about, he said, you know, Timothy has proved himself like a son over time. I've seen him. I've seen him in his good days. I've seen him in his bad days. I've seen him when he's way outside of his experience world, and I've seen him when he's within the realm of what he can own. And as a father, I can speak to this man and say, you can trust his character. And this is what I would encourage all of us to do, is to look at how Paul describes this, so that we could strive to build our character and make sure that over time our character is growing and developing and it's getting better. There are those people in life who will never accept responsibility for their mistakes. And everybody knows that. And their reputation precedes them. But you know, the beauty of character is when you do make a mistake, you own your mistake. You just admit it, you own it. People will respect you even more when you own your mistake. But your character and reputation diminishes as soon as you deny that you made the mistake because people go, no, we know better. So Paul says, here's what I want you to know, that your character truly is built over time. And if you look even further, you start to see what Paul writes. Look at what he says to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. He said, Timothy, be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. Timothy, let the course of your life let your character grow. And then he pulls it right down into Epaphroditus, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 25. Your Bibles are still open. He said, I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier, and he's your messenger. Paul says, this is someone who is close to you, and you sent him to me, and I want you to know he's proven himself. And the words that he selected are all the images that Paul would have seen in Roman culture. And he goes, this is a man that you, when you get him back, you can trust Epaphroditus because his character has been proven to me. So a quick pause and a thought. How would you rate your character? So two thoughts that we've been looking at here. If you go back, how would you say you do when it comes to genuinely valuing others over yourself? Do you lift others up? Do you pour into other people's lives? So rate yourself on a scale of one to five. Five being the highest, one being the lowest. Let's do it like Facebook for the churches. Where do you land? And what do you need to do to increase that score? And then this other area, when it talks about proving your character over time, are you maturing in the seasons of your life or are you simply repeating the same story over and over and over and moving with a different group of people so nobody can actually know the truth of your reputation because there are people that do that. And Paul says, here's the wonderful part of our journey, that when we get this right, we can have a Christ-centered reputation, and it will just radiate. And last week I talked to you about this. Remember, you could be a star in the sky. This is where the star shines the brightest. It's when your reputation is at the forefront. Okay, one last thing. Write this down. So with a Christ-centered reputation, Paul doesn't just leave it there how we should build it out. But here he brings an application in play. And if you're taking notes, number three is this. A Christ-centered reputation is worthy of honor. It's worthy of recognition and honor. Philippians chapter 2, verse 29, Paul says this about Epaphroditus. Now listen carefully, and I'm going to explain it. 
I want you to welcome Epaphroditus in the Lord's love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ. He was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. So the words he used, welcome him, Lord's love, great joy, and give him the honor that is due to him. Why is that so important? So Paul was living in Roman culture. Roman culture was a culture of what? Honor and shame. No in-between. So he knew what it was. He saw the gladiators. He saw the honor given to the gladiator. He saw the honor given to the emperor. He saw the honor that would be given to the elite of society. He saw the shame that was given to those who were the despised, the marginalized, and the enslaved. Paul saw the disparity between the two, and he goes, this isn't how this should work. So he saw culture that celebrated the successful, but shunned the weak and the inferior. So they classified people, and he goes, we should never do that to people. So he takes Epaphroditus as an illustration, and he goes, when he comes back to you, I want you to honor him. In fact, he said, I want you to honor him in the Lord's love, and with great joy, let him know how happy you are. And you go, so why is that so important? Because Philippi was a Roman colony. Remember that? They were living in Roman culture. If you were living there, here's what Paul knew. There was already whisperings that was going on that Epaphroditus had failed them in his task. We selected him to represent us to the great apostle Paul. We sent him to Rome with our gifts. And when he gets there, the guy nearly dies. And he doesn't fulfill. See, in that culture, that would be an acceptable response because they understood shame. He would have shamed them in the way that he had served Paul. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. He didn't. This man didn't fail me. So in fact, when I send him back to you, make sure that you don't mistreat Epaphroditus, but you actually elevate his status. You do for him what they do in the Roman Colosseums. You line the street when Epaphroditus comes back into town. You raise your hands and you go, yay, thank you for doing what only you could do. You represented us well. And make sure that he knows how much you honor him. Friends, hear me. We live in a culture that's quicker to criticize than it is to acknowledge. We're quicker to tear down than we are to build up. And Paul says, I want you to learn how to honor people and esteem people and build people up, and especially those that are in the body of Christ. We should be the very center of the place. When people walk in, they go, what an amazing place. Everybody looks for the positive and they speak truth about one another. Does it mean we can't bring a word of rebuke in season? No, we do that. But he says, but honor people in the right way and make sure you're lifting people up. Wouldn't it be amazing if we all began to practice this? So you're walking into the church one day and you see somebody ushering at the door and you just stop and go, Richard, yay, thank you for ushering. They would be so embarrassed, wouldn't they? Do it on the way out. They're in the room listening to me, so they're going to expect it now. And you just go, yay, thank you for serving. And some of you go, oh, no, I'm an introvert. Doug. I could never do that. Never, never, never. Well, just try it. Put on a little Dwayne for a moment, okay? Just raise your hands and just do a little celebration. Or go to the kids' department when you're picking up your kids because they get the messy parts. Honor them. Or in your growth groups for the people to facilitate and host and lead. Learn how to honor. This is a missing value in our culture. And we need to be people that know how to give right honor and recognition. When you're leaving later on, you're going past that traffic control officer who's out there hoping that everybody's happy with them the way they direct traffic. Just say thank you. 
Wave your hand and smile at them. Honor them for what they're doing. This would radically change your Christian witness and your testimony. So practically, who do you need to honor this week? Who's the person in your life? You, you know that Hallmark and Carlton, they don't own the rights to all the greeting cards, right? They make a lot of money off of it, but they don't own all the rights. So I, here's what I want. You want some homework? Oh, you went total quiet on me there. Well, I'm giving you homework anyhow. Here it is. Here's your homework. There is somebody in your life that you need to honor. It might be an email that says thank you. It might be a phone call that says thank you. It might be a text that says thank you. It might be your pastor that you say thank you to. No, I'm just kidding. Who's the person that you need to say thank you to? Don't think about it. Actually do it. Paul actually told the entire church, when this guy shows up, freak him out. Just absolutely surprise him and shock him with the response because he's coming back to you thinking, I failed him, I almost died, I took the gift, I wish I could have stayed, but my, my health, my illness, and my longing to get back home again. He said, don't let that be the shadow over his life. Welcome him in the right kind of way. All of us, we have a parent, a grandparent, we have a teacher, we have a boss. Yes, I said a boss. Supervisor, co-worker. There are people in our lives... And did you know that your Christian witness will speak more when you speak words of honor than when you simply try to convince them of your faith? Because the character and the reputation that we live is actually what becomes that appealing part of the aroma of Christ in us. So let's do it. Let's honor people the way that we're called to honor them. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, today, thank you for the truth of your word and the very practical nature of it. I pray that all of us would collectively realize that the gift of our reputation should never be taken for granted. There are things that we do, mistakes that we make, and those can be remedied, and we can overcome them. But as followers of Christ in a world that's desperately seeking truth and authenticity, would you help us to be people that have Christ-centered reputations? That when people look at us and they think of us, they immediately go, there's something about them. They genuinely care about people, and they put people first. They look at the span of our life. They would be able to look at the markings of our life and go, day in and day out, month in and month out, year in and year out, their character just grew over time. And there's the wonder of how they lived. And that, Father, that we'd also be the people that know how to express the best honor to one another the way you call us to. So thank you for the opportunity to find joy in our lives, to follow and serve you, and help us as we choose this week in a very practical way. Would you lay on our hearts, Holy Spirit, right now, just lay on our hearts, who's the person that we're going to honor? And we pray that those words would speak new life into them as well. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.